0: Well, this month we are going to work our way through Romans 8, uh, the heart of the gospel. Uh, you may find it helpful to bring your Bible along, on, to follow along on Sunday mornings, uh, so, you know, for you to follow along as we go through different uh, Scripture passages and take notes. Uh, if you have yours with you, go ahead and find the book of Romans, or if you don't, you can grab a, one of the blue bi- uh, pew Bibles that are in front of you there from the pew rack. Romans 8 is on page 1756 in your pew bibles. I really encourage you to read, take some time this week to read through the whole letter in one sitting. It's a lot to take in, but it gives you the whole sweep of what Paul is saying. The way we're reading it in worship is a little like listening to bits and pieces of a symphony. You know, just, you know, Listening for for the for a couple of minutes, right in the middle of it, and then skipping on reading a couple, listening to a couple more minutes, a little bit further on. The first audience would have probably have heard it all at once, read out loud in their little house church there in Rome, and of course they went back and read it again and again and again, and shared it with other people. And you know, thousands of years later, we hold it as Part of our Holy Scriptures because we recognize God speaking through Paul's words. Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Rome, some of whom were Jewish in background like Paul himself. Paul had been a Pharisee, a really religious guy who tried to follow God's law as perfectly as, as possible until he had an encounter with the risen Jesus that changed his life. Throughout his letter to the Romans, Paul describes a new exodus. He talks about how God brings us from slavery to freedom, from death to life. The original book of Exodus in the Hebrew Scriptures describes how God made promises to the Israelites and rescued them from Egypt, where they had been slaves for 400 years The word exodus, like exit, means the way out. God brought them out through the Red Sea, drowned Pharaoh's pursuing army. He protected and provided them for them throughout the wilderness. He formed them into a new community at Mount Sinai, where he gave them the law to shape their life together. He went with them on their way to the promised land in a pillar of smoke and fire. God called them to be a light to the world and a blessing to the nations. But like all of us, they didn't always live out their calling. They turned away from God to other things. They sought their own comfort and prosperity rather than helping others. They neglected the poor and the downtrodden. Paul points out that none of us can point a finger at others. We're all guilty of the same sins. None of us have a valid excuse for the ways that we hurt people and damage God's good creation. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is, even though we are faithless, God remains faithful. Paul proclaims that through Jesus... God is renewing His covenant with His people. In Christ, God says yes to all of His promises. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the one we've been waiting for. He rescues us from sin and death and brings us into God's kingdom, God's rule in our lives. Now, Christ is creating a new community led not by the law, but by the Holy Spirit. Right before the passage that we heard today, Paul shared some of his own struggle with the Christians in Rome. He said, I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul goes on, then, at the beginning of chapter 8 by saying, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In Romans 8, Paul sings about the message of God's judgment and mercy. The Spirit sets us free from our sinful nature, which Paul calls our flesh. Now, sometimes people misunderstand these verses. They kind of pull a switcheroo on the meaning. People end up hearing the message that the Spirit is good and the flesh is bad. It's led people to diminish and demean the good gift of our bodies. People often think of flesh and spirit as your body and soul, as if you're a little spirit being living inside a shell. But that idea really comes more from Plato and other pagan philosophers than from the Bible. That kind of misunderstanding is called a dichotomy, a word that literally means to cut in two, Die being two and kotos being uh, to cut. A dichotomy splits you in two separate parts flesh and spirit, body and soul. But splitting yourself in two like that is not biblical, and it leads to all kinds of problems. Where do you make the split? I mean, how do you separate your flesh and your spirit? Do you really think that what goes on in your soul doesn't affect your stomach, your heart, your sex drive, and everything else? It does. Everything is connected. We are whole persons. We can't be split apart. So how does it end up that instead of the true song of God's judgment and mercy, you hear this phony dichotomy, this troublesome lie that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. Sometimes it's the religiously pure folks who promote this understanding because they don't really want you to really enjoy the good gifts God gives you in his creation. Gifts like cold beer on a hot day, or sweet corn in the summer, or sweet music, or a nice fat fish on the end of your line. Enjoying such fleshy opportunities could lead to dancing, you know. (laughs) More often, though, this switcheroo has been done behind the curtain of the self-esteem movement. Because, you see, there couldn't possibly be anything wrong with someone so lovable, capable, and deserving as me, and you, too. So if there's nothing wrong with you then it must be the container that your spirit is stuck in. The problem must be your flesh. That's what's bad. Your spirit is good. So just follow your spirit or your heart wherever it may lead you. Sound familiar? That's the gospel according to Hollywood. Follow your heart. That false gospel can leave you confused about the goodness of God's creation. It can leave you chasing after some sort of spiritual feeling, some oneness with the trees in the universe, rather than trusting God at his word. But here comes Paul. The mind governed by the flesh is death. It is hostile to God. He's not saying that God didn't create humans good. God loves his creation. The flesh that Paul speaks of here is not your skin and bones and muscle. It's the power over you which pushes you to oppose God. We also know it as sin. Turn with me to Galatians 5, uh, verse 19. It's, in your, in your pew Bible, it's page 1815. Hold your fingers there in Romans 8, because we'll be coming back. But flip over to 1815 to Galatians 5. Paul says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. This is starting in verse 19. The acts of the flesh, the sinful nature, are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. You'll note in that list, it's not meant to be an exhaustive list, it's just, he's just saying, here's some examples. These are not just sexual sins, but sins against God, against our neighbors, and against ourselves. Sin is not just bad things that we do. It's a power that holds us in its grasp. We know what's right, but we don't do it. Paul knew that struggle himself. He said, in my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but in my flesh, in my sinful nature... I am a slave to the law of sin. The law is weakened by the flesh. It's weakened by sin. The law is good and given by God, but it cannot give life. It was supposed to be a source of life and health for us. As Deuteronomy 30 says, God said to the Israelites, After they received the Ten Commandments, I have set before you death and life, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. The problem is, we always choose death. We choose to go our own way, to live on our own power. We wander off into the wilderness instead of staying on the road God has made. We're like the Israelites. Three days after Mount Sinai, after after getting to Mount Sinai, at the first bit of trouble, when they started getting thirsty, they grumbled and complained and wanted to go back to Egypt. They forgot to trust the God who opened the Red Sea for them. Even while Moses was still on the mountaintop receiving the Ten Commandments. They turned away from God. They made a golden calf and worshipped it instead. So God let them suffer the consequences of their actions. There was fighting among the Israelites, and a plague swept through the camp. Many people died. Sin leads to death. It always has from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve Ate from the fruit, God told them now death is going to enter the world. Things are going to be hard for you. So, the first thing to do if you aren't interested in death is to come clean. Be honest with yourself, with others, and with God. Do what basketball players do when they're guilty of a foul. You raise your hand and say, yes, it's me. I did it. I'm a sinner, overpowered by my own flesh, my own sin, which is so bent on its own way that it's hostile to you, God. This is me, God. I'm not proud of who I am and what I've done. In fact, I'm ashamed of it. That's the truth. When you're honest with yourself, And with God, Jesus comes to you and says, now you're talking. Have I got a deal for you? It's the deal of a lifetime. And folks like you who know they are sinners are the only ones who qualify. Here it is right now. All your sin, all your rebellion, all your fleshy thinking, I take on myself. You can't have it back. Instead, I give you what is mine righteousness, purity, joy, and peace. You are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit now dwells in you, you have new life, now and into eternity with me. If Christ is at work in your heart, you have been released from slavery brought out from the Egypt of sin and death. You've been given new life in Christ. Now live that out. In Romans 6, Paul says, We were buried with Him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We've been given not just life after death, but life in Christ here and now. A new way of life marked by honesty and forgiveness and love. In Galatians 5, Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He goes on in Galatians 5, To talk about the fruit of the Spirit. These are some of the things that he lists. He says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Sometimes when I visit people in their homes, I see the fruits of the Spirit listed on a plaque on their wall. But how much do we live out those fruits day to day? Is your life marked by a growing sense of love for your neighbor? Are you being filled with joy that spills over to the people around you? Do you have a a quiet sense of peace about you? even when you go through difficult and frustrating moments during your day? Is your life reflecting more and more of these fruits of the Spirit? Paul says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. If Christ has taken hold of your life, If you've turned yourself over to His care, then God sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in you just as His presence dwelt in the tabernacle, the portable temple that the Israelites carried. God went with them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He guided them, provided for them, and brought them to the promised land. When you are in Christ You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit dwells in and among us. He goes with us, guides us, provides for us, and will bring us to our eternal home, a remade and reunited heaven and earth where all is set right. While we wait for everything to be made new, we live by the Spirit. What does that look like? Paul says the righteous requirement of the law is now fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. When you live by the Spirit, you naturally do the things the law requires. Not to earn God's love, which is a free gift, but as a joyful response to what God has done. God gives you everything you need day by day. He's given his son to die for you. He's come to set you free and give you new life just as he is restoring all of creation. That's the heart of the gospel. Let freedom ring. Amen.